0: Hey everyone, we have a special guest today all the way from Spain.
1: Yeah, they call, some people call him Mr. International Environments guy. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that. What does that mean?
0: I, I think it means that he just does all sorts of things in all sorts of places. No, in all honesty, uh, Victor is somebody that's all about
1: strategy and business development in technology. And he's actually a very interesting guy.
0: Mm-hmm. He's uh, He's got a really good background in developing different kinds of financial companies he's a super young guy um recommends a lot of interesting books to read to get up to speed on finance and um i mean his company's been around for a couple years now focused all around emerging technologies especially around blockchain so definitely a good good podcast listen to if you're interested in those topics yeah and i guess as they say it's the future so let's dive in man let's do it let's do it Hey everyone, welcome to the Ali and Uphile podcast. Unfortunately, Upile cannot make it for this episode, but today I have Victor with me. Victor, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm fine. Thank
0: you. Hello, everyone. Uh, Victor is a, can I say you're a, a general manager, a, a founder? How, how would you want to describe yourself in terms of uh, Quexo Partners?
1: People, people used to call me managing partner. Many CEOs around and so managing partner was what they decide. Managing partner. Okay, perfect.
0: And, um, and so, yeah, I reached out to LinkedIn. You, you had a really cool profile, but I'll give you like a quick 10 seconds to maybe describe what it is that you do and, and how you got started. Thank you
1: for the question. We have a company called and uh, Partners. We specialize in emerging technologies. We call ourselves merchant innovators, and we work mainly with private capital, startups and corporates, helping them to create impact beyond money. And persuading high network individuals to make uh, visionary investments in areas like uh, space, artificial intelligence, fintech, and so on, that can mean a difference for for the world. We started that in 2016 alone, in London, when I moved to London after some time in Barcelona, because I was feeling that I was needing. A, sometimes people have a pistol sailing, let's say, and you need to change your city to get out of the box completely, despite you have already out-of-the-box thinking. And that's what I did. So I took a one-way ticket to London. I was supposed to start a virtual reality venture, create studio for VR. That was uh, May 2016. And I ended up doing something opposite as the market requested that. I started doing the business development for that venture. And I found that people was not requesting me for, for VR yet, which was a little bit early and still is. They, they were asking me about helping them to raise capital. From my, my past experience in in the fintech industry and as investor relations and so on. So I started doing that and I found there was a gap in the market. It's very difficult for a lot of startups to raise uh, private capital that can help them to leverage their opportunities and at the same time get uh, into relationships with certain corporates and get advice from from senior people because mainly big four companies are not going to do that for you unless you are on B series or C series or you have any special interest for them. It's a very difficult water to navigate for startup, but also on the side of private investors, they really want to invest in technology, but they look, sometimes they don't have the people or they don't have the knowledge of the last mile of what to invest in into technology. And the other side, corporates are trying to navigate external innovation, corporate venturing, And topics like digital turnarounds and transformation for certain processes and business units that are not properly covered by the typical suspects or the typical large consultancy firms that do not bring them at all any unique selling proposition or value that can differentiate them aside of uh, something that they packetize in different countries. So this is how how we start to think how we can create a technology-based investment banking model. And this is how how we started for our first year. And then on 2017, I put together a team of former investment bankers, uh, people from technology, product and creatives, all of them seniors. What we call them is greatpreneurs. So these greatpreneurs are people who uh, helping our clients on, on that aspect. That is amazing. Which company number is this? Is this your like third company, fourth company? I have an investment in a venture capital firm where I still have a take and a board seat in Barcelona. Previously, i been involved in image rights for football players with a company. Also, I was involved with non-shares on a company related to augmented reality in Barcelona where I was head of international. And previously I was a super minority stakeholder in a new York fintech where I was working as head of investor relations and business development. And that's more, that will be maybe, it's the first one that I really found, I really create for myself rather than participating in any other kind of forms, whatever shares or, or investing straight. This investment bank for
0: technology like model, how did you convince these four senior people to come on board, and then how did you convince a client uh, to come on board, or did one come before the other?
1: It it started on the startup side first. I mean, even on the startup side, we need we had to understand. There's a lot of books who talk about startups and starting projects and so on, but we had really to take some some time to understand the the problems. And yeah, it's it's not very concrete the word problems, but understand how the the stakeholders were working together and what was everyone doing and what was missing from them to close the chain and the startup side is clear i mean there's a need of business development or corporate access that uh, always will be there there's a need of, of uh, smarter fundings and faster as possible any fundings that might take you about at least you you've been a founder so you know as vista Uh, Six months minimum, unless you find someone who is covering the full round by chance, which happens much less than we would like. And then uh, advisory itself. And then then investors, is the the same case. They want to invest into technology, but they don't used to have people in-house to do so. So we help them on the tech assessment side. And then the corporates is much more of the same. They are large, they go slow, and they sometimes need some help of people who can iterate faster than them. How I convinced them, it was when I think I, they got convinced, some of them were convinced because they believed in me, especially the most senior ones. And the rest, most of them, I used to kn- to know them since I, I was 16, 17, or 18. And they saw me uh, how I was progressing in London and other places. And they found that opportunity to, to work together. But there is always an inflection point. Consciously or not. And that inflection point for me was in uh, when I met someone who is the senior, the managing director of a single family office who managed 1 billion for a person who has uh, a large stakeholding on on a bank, a top 50 bank. That person brought me people and people brings people. And that's a little bit how putting together my own network and The current network had a a starting point that started to be perceived as a serious company rather than a pilot. That
0: is actually amazing. And it's usually like that. Usually there's one or two people that are like champions of your business and they help you succeed.
1: There was a a guy that I met in person after sending a messages, hassling him a little bit. This guy was in charge of this family office and he said, yeah, okay, we're going to do something. And from that point, everything changed.
0: That totally makes sense. That story is probably the story of how a lot of businesses just got that that break.
1: He brought the, the confidence about, say, listen, you have something that someone in a billion, three, ten billion 10 billion family office is caring about right now. And this is why they he wanted to participate. And as soon as they them, we started having more conversations and iterating to understand how we can serve properly the, the model, we also found out that we were able to have partnerships with lawyers and private banks, especially for the investment clubs. And altogether was having a more sophisticated model that each time we were talking with someone, people was finding at least interesting the conversation, but not only people, especially in the site of private investors, we were having straight meetings with principals who, who are listed on, on Forbes or, or who are large, large and well-known people. And they, the principals were taking the calls directly. I mean, in person, we we had very, very insightful conversations. And there was one of them that I cannot mention, but uh, he made me realize what private capital was looking for, especially because he has uh, a large wealth. And he was my champion on the private side, especially I uh, had a lot of of help from him and his bankers uh, in, in terms of understanding how we can fit with someone like him and from there that was easier to understand what everyone else was needing. I mean we can intuitively go around. On the startup side, as I said before, business development, funding, etc. Startups always need things. And there's sometimes lack of, of capital. But there is also startups who are championed by people who push like large money from their pockets or or other kind. Not all startups are at all out needing only cash. I mean they need cash but sometimes they start from a well-regarded positions, and then the corporate side is the same. They need external innovation. They need changes. They sometimes rely on corporations that will charge them a million for a PowerPoint, and a PowerPoint doesn't change anything. If I tell you we, if I tell you that you have a model that is based on paper, and you have a retail paper business, and you don't do nothing about right now, you still have a paper business, whatever is hundred years old doesn't matter. If you don't change that, someone will do it on your side. Despite you have a large client client base, it doesn't matter. It will be matter of time. Ideas always are a matter of time and timing. So I mean time and timing. So when timing aligns with an idea, then it simply happens. When you have an idea, someone had it, maybe five people from around the world have it. And the only difference is execution, who does it first well. Netflix is not something something new. I'm going to use that example, which is clear. So like Netflix, maybe it was invented about, I, I know people who was working on Netflix in the, in the 2000s, but they were, was what, 10 years earlier to the market. And and that was the difference. If you were not having 15 years or 10 years of cash to wait such time into a line, it doesn't doesn't matter what you have invented. And that points me to the, To the next point, which is a lot of people forget that, okay, you can create things, but if it's not customer-centric, it doesn't matter. I mean, and for customer-centric, understand that it solves a problem that someone is having right now and they're willing to use it and even pay for using your solution. It doesn't matter if it's five years, it will be of use uh, or not something. If you invent something that for today there's no market, it will be okay when you have the market. But that's two critical points, I I will say.
0: When do you think a business becomes real? Like when does it go from there's just this really cool idea that I have in my head and I'm spending my time on it to now this is an actual real business?
1: Mm, There is certain critical points. For a founder, you don't even realize. I mean, I don't don't know if you use my example or not, but I will say that when you have an idea and you turn that into a service or product, then you pitch that and you iterate changes that market tells you that what they want. Because people, if you ask them, are willing to help. There's nothing that likes more to a lot of people than ask for them for their opinion and they can have a say. And once you have a product that you can nail in and you have the first customer willing to pay for or who asks you straight how much it costs rather than, oh, can I try it? I think that's where you turn into a business. But you don't realize at all when you reach that point. It's something very subjective. And then on another thing, we had a, a very curious case, which is when we started to do the first joint ventures with other companies, I used to leave the name in blank. And the people participating was using my, my surname as part of a joint ventures. So it was Wisher and whatever. And there they realized I was becoming a brand. And that was not in my plan. So my plan is not being a brand, but I have a surname that is six letters, which is easy to say. So and even has an X, which is, makes it more interesting for to play around with the CXO idea or whatever. That kind of things will happen along that way. I think when you have the first paying customer, that that gets into serious things. And when you have the second one or the third and the fourth, it's confirming that you you have a thesis that might might fly, then that is where you turn that into real business
0: gotcha okay let me change the tone of the conversation for a second with all these managing partners that you're working with or these four senior executives rather um, and all these customers and whatnot you are still the one at the top you are still the ceo managing all of these guys right yeah does it ever feel lonely
1: at the top i will say that uh, as we are all humans it feels lonely if you don't have a personal life properly organized. I mean, sometimes you get conditioned to worry by what you do in your personal life. I mean, we all have a family, people, etc., And having care of this personal life is what might eventually save a lot of time in terms of feeling or not alone. It's uh, very subjective, but that's one key thing. And then... I don't feel alone at all because I have a, also a, a board that comprises two of them. We take care of taking most of the decisions and run the day-to-day smoothly as we are already a few people. You feel responsibility, but at the same time, they, we are all friends. And basically, that also helps a lot. So there's no hostility etc.
0: Gotcha. But is there ever a point where you feel if you make a couple bad decisions that these people will still follow you and still say yes to you because they are more scared of losing their positions of power as opposed to doing what is right?
1: No, I don't think so because they're so senior and they are so well-placed in the things that they do that uh, they are here by choice, not by obligation. And at the same time, each time we have to take any critical decision, they always have a say. I mean, we always take critical things, even boarding a client, we always take a consensus about. And that's, a, that's my point.
0: That actually makes a lot of sense. What's a quality that you have that you think other people would consider bad quality, but you use it to your advantage? So my example is I'm, I'm very suspicious of a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people are hard to trust when it comes to personal things for me. And so... I pay very close attention to detail when it comes to dealing with different individuals, which has helped me with my businesses because I understand what partners want, how to handle various employees, etc. But that's only through my sort of understanding and exchange and potentially suspicions of individuals.
1: Hmm. Uh, I have one, I think. I, As I've been in London, I had developed a, a kind of weirdo quality, which is that to be managed to, to get focused sometimes, I make uh, some guessings about what people is doing according their background, and I try to save time by that. And as I have a good ratio of good ones, I sometimes uh, have uh, bad choices, and I don't know how to explain it. But I mean, uh, if you if you've been in investor relations, you're looking for for raise capital, you you have to to develop a sixth sense that tells you if someone has or not money, or if he's just a broker, etc. And I don't know how, how good or bad is it, but that's that's part of, of me. Same happens with business development or anything else. So, so it's this
0: idea that by looking at somebody or by listening to them talk, you can understand how they can add value to your life and to your business. Is that kind of correct?
1: More or less, yes, exactly.
0: And does that translate differently across cultures? Like does somebody who has... No money, but wears a fancy suit in London. Are they different than somebody who's in Spain or in Canada or in other places?
1: It's weird, though, and I, lo- I know a lot of people will not agree, but if you manage to understand the cultural backgrounds and how things uh, work, there is some things that are general by human nature and some things that are related to, to countries. I'd like to put an example about uh, Sweden, for example. Uh, Sweden, they have beautifully, beautifully brilliant engineers and companies. It's really, really awesome sometimes, but by cultural constraint, there is some people there that they will not go out at all to sell themselves like an American will do or a British will do. And that's cultural. But this is why companies like Spotify appear from Sweden. And it's part of a Swedish way of doing. And that's an example. But I mean, it's not for the, for the outfit itself. I mean, I think it's about when you have a conversation with someone five or ten minutes or you see a, a background and the way they approach you and the way they do things, you can, you can have certain intuition about what, how it's going to turn that.
0: That's true. I, I can totally agree with that.
1: And it, 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 sometimes you believe, ah, no, I, I'm going to give it a chance, but the, the output is the same. That were you expecting?
0: And obviously, when that fails, you also learn from that and you and you grow continuously.
1: Exactly. But you you need to do that open minded to say okay, maybe I'm wrong. Not about uh, just uh, saying okay, you know, it's just uh, you need to have the mentality to say okay, I'm ready to to fail.
0: Okay, let's talk about your business for a second. And and I really like the last point about being ready to fail. When you started this business and all your past businesses, did you? know what the failure was going to look like and did you have an idea of what you're putting on the line in order to build this business?
1: Mm, yes. Uh, when I was uh, f- maybe 15 years old or less, I used to sell uh, Windows licenses to my partners in class. And basically, I annoyed a lot the teacher about uh, my activities. He was saying he was going to report me to the police or whatever. So well, since I was young, I was having... I don't know if it's a talent for sales, but uh, that's something I would... It was my first little business. And then I was looking... It was about when I was 16 or 17. I was very interested in creating a model to deliver hardware and computers straight home without uh, any supply chain uh, in the middle of intermediaries. And that something was exploding, which ended being the model of Amazon for a lot of things. And I never managed to put together this idea properly because I was not having the experience to to run something like that or try to create something like that in the era of e-commerce. And at the same time, there was a lot of competition. So I never ended realizing this idea. But the story here is that one thing brings you to another thing. And it's a matter of time if you Learn the lessons that you find. You find your place, and at the same time, it's a matter of time. If you pers- uh, persist in something, this is a, a, a low which eighty twenty, no. So you learn having access to to the best opportunities to the point that one day, if you work hard, you'll have more opportunities on your that that what you can take. This happens at some point. Also, again, like you don't realize about, and there is a inflection point on any business that you've been doing business development first. And at some point you start seeing inbound business and this is where you you establish and this is where you, you well establish. You're, you're starting to scale up really. And this is where things are starting to change. So at one point, eventually I guess that you have, you end having more inbounds that what you can manage.
0: Gotcha. And you are now dealing with a lot of new and emerging technologies what are some technologies that you are really excited about? Like, space, like SpaceX or uh, Blue Origin or something? Space in general.
1: As an, as, a, as an industry that is silently getting ready for a big fight by 2019, because uh, everyone is doing using rockets, but there is other ways of launching things to the space without rockets. And that's going to be the point of disruption of such industry which is dramatically right now you need to launch a satellite a rocket. I don't remember it was about 30 or a hundred millions per launch. There's a big key for launchments, but there is other ways of launching things. We're working on on something in that space.
0: So when you say there's other ways of launching things into space, can you be more specific or is that still something that you're working on?
1: I cannot be more specific. We have uh, we have some plans on on that area with uh, with a client.
0: Okay. But
1: space is one of those
0: industries where, if I today wanted to get started in a business, how would I jump into the space industry?
1: I think that this is a matter of a, it's an industry that, for all the projects I have seen on our door, whatever it was its stage or maturity, is an industry for people who was already part of the previous industry. It requires a lot of a specialism, like a lawyer, like being a lawyer or doctor, no, or just uh, taking care of health of of a people. It's things that you are in or you're not. And they have a big barrier to entry for anyone else who isn't, unless you are someone from Silicon Valley, very clever or previously billionaire.
0: So that doesn't that restrict the kinds of innovations that could take place?
1: I don't I don't think so at all. I think that it's a typical case where before someone gets democratized or massive mass access, it needs to be sometimes like that before it happens. Gotcha. Space is one of the one of the areas, but also we see a lot of things related to retail. People is starting to wonder how they can embed technology into the retail experience, how you can connect online and offline channels. And then other areas that are changing a lot and fast are mobility and payments. Payments space is the one that is getting massively disrupted on my point of view.
0: Do you see this as a different trends of changes in different countries, or do you see this more like it's just one big trend and all countries are having sort of a distributed approach to this innovation?
1: There is global trends that affect absolutely everyone, like globalization will be, and there is local trends that affect markets. And we've seen that example in things like payments. If you look on payments, each country has its own network or infrastructure about how they do payments. In the UK, people use direct debiting, while in Germany, people use a thing called Sofort. And then other places, people like to use uh, the new uh, fintech, the Klarna, for example. No, and then you have a uh, Revolut, etc. So it's a matter of one thing is the global trend, and then the local trend, and then how this local trend. And not only trends, ways of using things, of doing things. The cultural, cultural matters affect to to such changes. So people immediately sometimes like more to carry cash, while uh, people in Europe we like more to carry to carry plastic.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, I I spent about five years working in payments, and so I, I looked at all these different models and all these different things. And what I found interesting was that you're right. There are very local trends that are coming about. But a lot of it, I think, stems from the idea that some countries are taking the lead on payment changes and other countries have realized, oh, if they can make some changes, we should make some changes too.
1: The thing is that there's a set of of countries that always will be followers to other countries. I mean, if the Americans start doing something, probably the UK will be next. And and that happens uh, quickly. And then, for example, in China, you have uh, wallets. You don't have at all no longer a lot of ATMs that it used to happen. There is a company that used to manufacture ATMs that one day was worth $5 billion and now it's worth $500 million something. And they are struggling with, uh, with their uh, banking license and struggling with uh, the employees that they have because they never managed to pass the, this Kodak momentum. That's why, because they were very reliant on China and India which, guess what, no longer like to use cash. They prefer mobile payments.
0: America's usually leading in the innovation change. I think you'd also agree that China is doing a great job right now as well. So it's a big battle between America and China.
1: They're quickly chasing. They're passing from a model of copying things to starting to create things. And you have a clear examples in, in areas like Shenzhen. That will be, for people who don't know it, Shenzhen is like a large city that will be the copy of uh, Silicon Valley but in big absolutely everything is skyscraper 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 and it's China sized
0: and do you have an office in China do you have any clients that are Chinese
1: if we have a person in uh, Hong Kong to me Hong Kong is uh, is very different of China I mean people is really really illustrated there there is uh, people speak English I mean it's just a, like a it has a little bit of, of London.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard that a lot from different people. I, I haven't been, but it definitely seems like a place like that.
1: I would recommend everyone to to visit Hong Kong because it gives you a good sight of what's going on in Asia in a small territory like it. And I have pending to be in Singapore one day. I mean, it's the same, same story in Singapore and Malaysia, just signs of progress for people who have seen the, the developments there. Okay, two more quick
0: questions. So if I'm starting a business today and I have zero knowledge about any industry, about any technology, but I can learn very quickly,
1: where should I apply my abilities? That's a bit difficult question because it depends on what abilities you have. You'll be able to, to start investigating uh, very specific industries. I think that most of the business start by the chance of someone having an experience or problem, whatever was an airline, whatever is the thing. And and that that turns into someone to wonder how they can solve that. Or family members just pointing you that they had a bad customer experience or bad whatever. And this is a, how most genuine business and simple business start, I think. And people who start these kind of things, so if you're able to do it, you end learning whatever is the, the field. You can always get people who's better like than you to help you to run the most specialist side.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. But but any any specific industry or technology that you're seeing that I think really should be
1: capitalized on? I will not be able to point only one. It's a really tough question right now with a pace of change that is going in, to the, in the world. It's no longer like uh, in 2010 where you were able to say what was a smartphone, what was going to be an app, more or less, it was linear. Now we have an exponential rate of change and it's very difficult to say uh, you know what you should be doctor well you have things like uh, neurology and so on that I mean it depends I, I recommend reading about the singularity University and being critical about and get some ideas of what are the trends uh, going to and how humans are going to interact with machines etc that will be a starting point cool um,
0: and then the last question you talk a lot about blockchain on your LinkedIn And I've read some of the work you've done, and it talks, again, a lot about blockchain. I'm just curious what your thoughts are specifically around blockchain. Do you you think that there is great opportunity here, or do you think it's something that a lot of people just haven't figured out yet, and it's just blowing up for no reason?
1: You know, this is a big question right now. I mean, uh, we've been advising some financial institutions on that. And the question of blockchain, first of all, we need to understand that there is a, a big hype on that. Is a, and that was fueled by the Bitcoin craze and the cryptos and so on. And people started to figure out that technology below. And then it's it's a big debate. And not without going into details, blockchain, I think. There is a, a good opportunity to change things if you have something that is immutable and unhackable uh, that can be uh, act like a public register or a public notary. And from there, you have to to understand that each vertical will have its own uses. And that's uh, there is a big opportunity, but I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I think we need to still two or three years to figure out what's going to happen with uh, with blockchain for real and if it's going to fly or not. We think it's going to fly, but it will still take more time than what a lot of people think. I mean, there's a lot of companies who are not, not ready to do that changes, or even they didn't start to figure out, understand what it is, and also there is uh, maybe eighty percent of the cases where people want to use blockchain, it doesn't need to use blockchain. You should be using simply another technology that can fulfill this need without needing to be a blockchain. I mean, imagine that you have uh, to, you want to put on blockchain uh, X data and. This data weights about two gigabytes, and you say that you want to decentralize that. Well, at some point, you you have to save this data centrally, so it doesn't have any sense to decentralize that. You you know what I mean? Yeah, I I totally get that. And if you decentralize that for the hype of uh, finding investors or whatever any of reason, this simply doesn't it doesn't fit right for for the customer.
0: Yeah, totally true. Okay, cool, man. I think it's good to maybe end off here unless you have any important points that you want us or our audience to know.
1: Mm, No, I'm thinking it's fine. We covered more or less everything.
0: Perfect. Victor, thank you so much. Oh, thanks to you. For your time and for everything. Yeah, thanks. (laughs)